0: Welcome into the Dog Dispatch Live, the very first live stream of the Dog Dispatch. Tonight, we're going to be talking about some potential coaching changes at Georgia. We're going to talk about spring ball. We're going to react to some national news. Stay with us. Me and Coach will be right back. All right, welcome in everybody. I'm John Smith at John Tweet Sports on Twitter. I'm here with my good friend Coach Hayes. Coach, how are you doing
1: today? John, I'm doing great, man. Looking forward to all the conversations we're going to be having tonight, no doubt.
0: Yeah, should be a good time. So if you're just joining us, uh, like the video, subscribe to the channel. We're just getting started. We've been uh, really, you know, just thrilled with uh, the response. Really, Thank you all for the comments. Thank you for the notes. Thank you for the tweets, all those things. Uh, just really appreciate all of it. And uh, we're looking forward to sticking with you for a long time here. So uh, before we jump into talking ball. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, bulldogs battling breast cancer. So my buddy, Dwight Standridge, uh, Jay and Teresa Abbott, um, they raised $275,000 a record for bulldogs uh, battling breast cancer. They give this money to St. Mary's hospital um, in the Athens area for screening, to help women get screened uh, for, you know, um, to preventative measures uh, for breast cancer. So I want to give a shout out to those folks. Um, I'm a proud supporter. This came in my golf bag. Uh, nice little, nice little sipping mug. So we got some nice, you know, apple juice in here tonight. Um, (laughs) a little apple juice, uh, to keep everything, everything smooth. So, um, coach want to start with coaching changes. Uh, we have Brian McClendon left last week for Tampa Bay. There is a lot of, um, reporting and smoke around Dale McGee, obviously being a front runner for the Georgia State head coaching position, uh, potentially by the time folks watch this, if you're not tuned into the live stream, he may be the head coach um, at Georgia State. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversation out there around who's gonna replace, who's gonna be Georgia's wide receiver coach, who's gonna be Georgia's running back coach if Dale McGee leaves, all those things, right? Right. And we can talk about that. I'm happy to talk about uh, potential candidates. I think, you know, if, if folks wanna hear about those, we can definitely share. What I wanna talk about really though is, is you know, the continuity of the staff. Dell McKee, especially if he were to leave Georgia, I mean, he's, you know, the the longest, one of the longest tenured along with Glenn Schumann guys on the staff. Um, and I wanna talk about, you know, just the impact of losing a coach. Like what, what happens, you know, to relationships? So you were a high school coach for a long time. You know how uh, recruiting works. You know when these relationships start getting built. Um, what what void does it leave with the staff and and really like as we think about coaching moves, especially this late in the year, you got another transfer window um opening up in April. Um right. what does it mean for the current guys that are on the roster that came, you know, to play for uh for Dell McGee or Brian McClendon? Um, you know, does it hurt relationships with recruits? Does it hurt relationship with current players? Um you know, what's, what, what are your thoughts around, you know, coaching changes at this point in the year? Well, looking at it from the coach's
1: perspective, what I see is the fact of relationships being built. Cause it's a network that you have, you meet so many new people through your coaching. Like I said, the networks of people that work within that are embedded, not only within your program, but people that are obviously in the sec that you've worked with, because a lot of these are, like I said, interconnected, and you have the ability to set up, um, these, uh, relationships, that go you know forever you know you look at del mcgee and you think man if there's a staple in a big packet of paper and you're taking that big that staple out i mean that's what it feels like at del mcgee is you know being a pending candidate and possible candidate to take the georgia state uh head coaching position it really does it creates just this mentality of trying to um maintain continuity i guess is what i'm trying to say because when you have coaches that you know especially coach smart isn't unfamiliar with this this is not unfamiliar territory he saw it probably plenty of times when he was there with saving at alabama i know that he uh was prepared for this that's part of being a head coach is knowing that you're going to have coaches and he's watched plenty of them take head coaching positions since mm-hmm. they've been with him on staff so i really do think that um it's a matter of bringing people in that you trust but a lot of these coaches have such an interconnection and networking with their uh with the people that they've come into contact with over their tenure of coaching, that a lot of times when a head coach hires a new person, you're gonna see that person come in and be someone that pretty much molds with the program very well. The coaches are very receptive to it because it is a fraternity. You know, you yeah. want these you want these guys to come in and, and be a part of something that's solid and they're coming into one of the best programs, if not the best program in the nation. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of solidarity with that when you see that happening from a from a uh, athlete's perspective. I think if it's fifteen years ago, we might be a little bit more worried on the recruit standpoint. But mm-hmm. I these kids nowadays are more primed, more than ever about building a relationship with the program, yeah. what you're trying to do respectfully to be a part of that program. and coaches do move and they need to understand that and it's a business decision for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like it is for these kids nowadays with the business decisions they have. So I don't think you're going to see a turnover because of of uh, Coach McGee leaving or you know Coach McClendon leaving. You might see a couple that are dedicated to him that might have a trust with them that might you know leave during the, the portal time in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, that's where I want to see is, you know, it's a fraternity and they really do a great job of yeah. just making sure that there's some solidarity with that with the new hires.
0: Yeah. I think the big thing too is, um, you know, what Kirby Smart has been really good about is is hiring uh, guys, replacements that are complimentary to whoever left. Right. right. So um, it's not only, it's not only about, you know, in this day and age, it's not only about recruit, you know, backfilling a, a good coach, Georgia can, get, they're going to get good coaches they have the best recruiter in college football leading the football program in Kirby Smart. Um, And so, uh, you know, but I think when you think about those relationships with the high school coaches, the footprint that the guys have been able to cover, like all those things, um, I think that's just really what's really critical and really important when they look to backfill these positions. And so I think for me, you know, I'm really excited to see who, who shows up Um, from all indications. I think we're going to get an announcement uh, pretty soon I wouldn't be surprised if it was Monday or Tuesday depending on what happens with del McGee um mm-hmm. you know if del McGee goes to Georgia State I would expect that to be announced tomorrow um, and uh and if he if he doesn't then good for Georgia uh, if he does end up at Georgia State then I think um, you know, I think Georgia's going to end up with somebody. You know, maybe Jimmy Smith is a name that's been popping up a lot. Um, former yes. Cedar Grove, former Cedar Grove uh, head coach, who won four state titles, put 30 guys in Division One when he was a high school coach in the state of Georgia. So knows the state very well. Yeah. Has recruited the state. Uh, has been a running back coach um, all of his career. And then Josh Crawford, I think, is a guy that's getting a look um, uh, at Georgia Tech. That uh, that a few um, outlets have have reported um, the the wide receiver the wide receiver uh, higher is is the one that's more intriguing to me to be honest right. like it's man georgia has not had a lot of success in recruiting that upper echelon elite wide receiver because of right. the way that georgia approaches nil right? right so georgia terrence edwards one of the best wide receivers in georgia history tweeted it <laughs> this week and said kirby doesn't pay for elite wide receivers um and so when you're taking that approach, you gotta have you know somebody who who can recruit and can sell a vision, because um, wide receivers right now it's it's tough sledding to try to recruit elite wide receivers, and so I think I'm really interested in, in who that hire is gonna be, um, yeah. because I think that hire is gonna be honestly more important than the running back coach
1: i do i agree with that too my my main mentality for bringing in a wide receiver coach is you've got to have a guy that they trust you've got to have a guy that's going to come in and and basically change sort of the dynamics of what's gone on even with coach mcclendon there's a trust factor that you see but obviously the kids have got to invest in the ability of your coaching your coaching ability um i would honestly rather see stay honest truth at georgia and i know there's a lot of people out there that say we want that great recruiter that's going to bring in that one great number one elite recruit that five star yeah. that everybody wants yeah. to see that buffs the ratings when you look at it but honestly from my perspective i would love for us to have a solid three maybe four-star kids, three-star yep. kids, things that work together and mesh that mm-hmm. are going to go out there and ball every Saturday that may not need those, uh, all those touches necessarily, mm-hmm. have a mm-hmm. selfless mentality, are going to go out and play hard for their head coach and play hard for their program because that G means something to them on their helmet. Instead of it being, well, I'm not getting enough touches, woe is me. I'm going somewhere else after we've spent all this NIL money on it. I understand why they don't do it. So <laughs> yeah. that's the reason why I really hope that whoever they do bring in still has sort of that blue collar mentality, that lunch yeah. bell mentality, and, and instills that in those kids to realize, you know what? That money's going to be there as you come through. That's what NIL is for, NIL's for. But mm-hmm. we want to see some product from you first, kid. And you've got to do that by going out there and busting your tail every day and proving to us that you want to be a part of this program. If you have three or four solid kids doing that versus your one pre-Madonna who gets his bag, you know, then I I would take that all day long twice on Sunday.
0: Listen, I love your perspective on that. I'm going to give the cynical side the other side of it. Sure. A.D. Mitchell was a lunch pail kid, Mm -hmm. wasn't a super highly rated recruit, came to Georgia, worked. You know, he transferred – there was family reasons and things involved like that, right. mm-hmm. but I do think the risk. You know, I think the risk of of wide receiver recruiting right now and getting those those guys that are going to fit in uh, in in scheme and are going to not care so much about touches. Um, somebody is going to come to them, some other program, and tell them, "You're not getting touches. We'll give you touches. You're not getting." You know that that piece of it. I think is the is the. You know, I love I I just love the mentality of like, yeah, let's get some, some you know underdog recruits that we can develop that are going to work and all those things. But you come in, develop those guys, they turn into some dogs, and uh, and they can be gone pretty quick. And so I think you know, it's it's just such a weird place that we are living in in college football. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit a little bit later because uh, you know, a guy who's no longer coaching. Uh, who has a very pretty high-profile voice in college football had some things to say about that. Yes, he did. Today, too, yeah. So, um, so with the, with the coaching change, you know, um, do you think when you look at this roster, and again, this is pure. I'm going to caveat every time we do a show. I will caveat what what is what are things that we actually know, and what are things that are just pure speculation. This segment is just pure speculation. But pure speculation. Looking down at this roster, who are some guys that are most affected by Brian McClendon and Del McGee's Del McGee's potential departure? Del McGee hasn't left yet, but let's say let's assume Del McGee leaves. Who are the guys who are most affected? Who are the guys that may be on this current roster right now that maybe it's like, eh, I don't know if they're gonna, I don't know if they're gonna stick around
1: well I'm gonna go running back side first because I think it's a little bit easier because I really thought this kid would probably be someone that might leave even if Del McKee was still there just for the purpose of playing time mm-hmm. and um when I, I think of Andrew Paul kind of comes to mind as the first person you know you build trust in the coach and obviously him if he does take the job at Georgia State he's way down the depth chart with it you know adding etn in as well as having a healthy Branson Robinson I mean he reads the writing on the wall But also, too, you know, I don't know this kid's mentality, but it's very easy for me to speculate that it would be a very easy follow to follow Coach McGee to Georgia State, where he's going to get solid playing time with a coach that he trusts. Um, You know, honestly, the younger kids that we're going to see, that we want to see improve this year uh, from a wide receiver perspective, I think Bell has tenured himself to um, not be one that's going to sway because Coach McClendon is gone. Um, I would say, and then of course, our our transfer portal kids that have come in that'll be in year two, love it and rah rah. And you know, I don't see Arian really going anywhere either. I always tend to forget about Arian. I really wish I wouldn't because I really do think he could contribute this year if he can, you know, solidify some of them catches that he's been missing here lately. But he got on a little bit of a track uh, towards the end of the year. But I'd say, I guess the only one that it really could affect is, um, I, you know, you want to say Anthony Evans, but, you know, I'm really excited about Anthony Evans. I think Anthony Evans is going to have a uh, solid year this year coming out of the slot. I want to see that speed. I want to see those dynamics we saw from Florida State. You know, I, I think people kind of over speculate because they read these mm-hmm. tweets from these kids. And I know Coach Smart has a pretty high microscope on these kids who are um, who are sending out these. uh tweets about their coaches that are leaving and you know just the smiley not the smiley faces but the crying faces emojis with a tear coming out you know you got to understand i mean these guys are kind of like father figures to them while they're here Mm -hmm. and uh you know to see someone leave is sort of like disconnecting from a grandparent that you love very much you know or from a you know someone who's kind of took you to raise and you kind of think of it in that in that regard these kids you know that's some stability for them that's comfort for them some of these kids are you know, 2,000 miles away from home. And, you know, when they come over and they have a coach that basically becomes their father figure and he decides to move on and uh, it it happens, but it's still not easy. So um, I I really don't see any wide receiver at all, whether it be of course the transfer portal kids coming over or any of the ones that are the incumbent, you know, are still there right now. I, I don't really see any being affected by Brian McClendon, but, I do see maybe possibly an Andrew Paul move if uh, if Del McGee takes the uh, head coaching job at Georgia State.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think I think um, we know looking at that Georgia running back room with who Georgia took as recruits, who they took from the portal, and Travis uh, Etn, Trevor Etn. Yeah, Trevor um, Etn. I co- I confuse, confuse him with yeah. his brother. Yeah. Um. But in, in taking Trevor Etn, um, you know, it, it, I yeah, we know we know that 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 Georgia running back room. There's not a there's some spots that Georgia still has to give up um, in yeah. this class, and I think uh, I think Del McGee if he if he were to move on again, um, uh, he hasn't yet, but if he were to move on, I think that's where you could see some of that come from. Yeah, uh, well, cool. All right. Well, speaking of moving on, and speaking of uh, development, you were just talking about it. Wide receivers. Um, let's talk about G day. So uh, G day was announced uh, for April the 13th, um, which you know. I mean, it's Ma- it's Masters weekend, so um, all right, Kirby. Like you know, we see, we see you um, uh, competing with competing with Masters Saturday, uh, but no, G Day was announced for uh, for April the 13th, so that's that's just over 50 days from now um, until until G Day is here, which means we're in the throes, about to be in the throes of spring ball, right? Uh, right. Being in the throes, we're in the throes of conditioning, in the throes of of um, of doing a lot of a lot of drills, a lot of practicing now, but we're about to get into the full full spring camp, uh, spring ball portion. Tell me a little bit um, from your perspective, you know, what are three things that we want to see, and I'll give you my take too, that we want to see as G-Day approaches and what's most important for the team to be working on this time of year?
1: Well, the one thing you can't do as a coach, it's very easy when you got all the new recruits coming in. And I know there's already been some hype on certain kids that I've already, you know, speculated on uh, from all of our number one recruits, even some of the kids that weren't as highly touted as others. But um, you can't get excited about T-shirt All-Americans because right now that's what you're dealing with. you got kids in T-shirts and shorts. Now they're busting their butt. They're in the weight room. They're getting after it. They're simulating drills. They're running 7-on-7 Skellies, 11-on-11 team. Uh, But kids don't have pads on yet. Um, But what they do get to see here and the expectations they get to see is just that simplicity of going good on good and seeing step off, seeing defensive linemen get off the football and how they can be to tackle, get around the edge, Uh, just speed and just footwork and agilities. From a defensive back standpoint, linebacker standpoint, just having that natural knack of going to the football. You'd be amazed in the secondary of how when balls are in the air, how – are thrown by your quarterbacks, how you'll have a kid who has great footwork, gets himself put into position, but doesn't understand going to attack the football. Yeah. And what you figure out in this whole process of the winter workouts, you figure out who has just that natural ability, that natural want to, uh, just to be in the right place at the right time. So it always seemed to me that skill players kind of showed more out during the offseason because, you know, it's really hard to sit up there and pass pro when you don't have pads on. Mm-hmm. But it re- it is real easy to line up to formations, call strengths, yep. identify your um, formation sets, motions, get in man-to-man, mm-hmm. all the things, and watch what your skill players can do against one another. So I'm hoping that we're getting healthy from the mm-hmm. kids that are obviously a little banged up and injured from this previous year, any minor surgeries. There's always seemed to be a kid or two that's always got a minor surgery they have to deal with coming into the season. So hopefully we won't have too many of those, if all any, disclose to us when we get started but really what you want to see is you want to be able to go to your board Mm -hmm. after spring after g-day and be able to feel like you know what here's our starting seven on the offensive line yes i said seven Mm -hmm. you know because you feel like you've got the solid five but you've got two um swiss army knives that can go Mm -hmm. in at guard center or tackle at any time And you provide you depth that we, hey, man, we've got ourselves a linebacker this year, you know, whatever that, you know, those talks that happen at the coach's table, that's very important. But the prep of just getting stronger, being in shape, being injury free, and hopefully identifying some key uh, role players that you may have not identified to start with before, you know, we get to the spring game.
0: Yeah, um, I, I love that. You know, I think for me, I, the depth is obviously critically important, and so I like. I think every position is that way, right? Like if you look at your really, yeah. you know, people, it's it's funny because like you're looking, you know, people, you're you're looking for your your best eleven on offense and defense, but what you're really looking for, defense is a totally different side of the ball. So we'll talk about that in a second. But right. on the offensive side of the ball, you know, you're really you're really looking for, um, for really, you know, probably your best. 17 18 if you think a couple extra linemen think your depth at wide receiver you know your depth at running back um tight end because georgia runs uh, a good bit of of 12 personnel and tight ends in the slot so um i think you know for me i i'm this is the time of the year where it really is it's really about mentality right like you you know georgia georgia didn't make the college football playoff last year um, Georgia won back-to-back national championships. A lot of those players are on this team still that were part of that, and a lot yeah. of them weren't yeah. weren't in the game when those were won. Some of them were, but a lot of them weren't. And um, and you got a mentality now where you're coming. You're the number one uh, team in the in the country in preseason rankings. Nick Saban has retired. There's all the talk about you know Alabama transfers. There's all the, you know. You've got all of this going on. You've got Ohio State hiring uh Chip Kelly as their offensive coordinator and yeah. getting Caleb Downs and getting um uh the uh Judkins from Ole Miss. Like you got you know you got these teams building these rosters and and you've got Georgia sitting there um you know with with pr- probably for uh, top to bottom the most talented roster again in college football mm-hmm. uh obviously you know in my opinion the best coach in college football now um that Nick Saban has gone but you got all this and you got all this pressure now uh on this team. And it yeah. really starts in the spring, right? I mean it really it starts it's like that mentality, um, it starts now. And so when I think about what I what G-Day just I'm sorry to spoil this for people who uh who who, who you know maybe anticipate, maybe maybe you're waiting, you're like, I can't wait until G-Day. I want to see what this guy has and what this guy has, what this guy we ain't going to learn nothing at G-Day. Nope. <laughs> we ain't going nope. to learn nothing. Um, and, uh, it, you know, we're, Kirby Smart especially is not showing you nothing at, nope. a, at, a, at a scrimmage that is uh, broadcasted by ESPN. <laughs> it, is not, yeah. it is not happening. Mm-hmm. But what I am excited to see is I do think, you know, the mentality of these guys, no matter, you know, it's it's to me, no matter what you're running out there at G-Day, um, running vanilla plays, you know, not not really, um, uh, you know, not really full on hitting and, and sticking. Um, I still think you can see, you know, the conditioning. It's going to be really important. I think we'll see that early. Yeah. I think we'll see the mentality of some of these guys early. Um, and I think more importantly, the connection, right? So you'll see, oh, yeah. like, like you see that um, we saw that at um, at G Days the last few years of just the connection of the team, um, and then we'll see. You know, we talked about the coaches earlier, so we'll we'll have some new faces. And we'll see how how those coaches are gelling. So, lots to look forward to leading up to uh, leading up to G Day. Anything else about spring ball?
1: No, I was going to say too, a lot of times when you get to spring, you truly find out what the culture of your program is because that has to be instilled early. And you mentioned that and I was just going to kind of um, come off of that that uh, storyline right there is that you will find out truly who your front runners are. And when I call a front runner, you'll find out people who talk a big show. But when it comes to the point where it gets hard, Mm -hmm. You find out who your true leaders are. You find out who the true core of your program is and the mantra that you're going to establish for your program that year. And that's what's nice about spring ball. And as it moves into summer, um, that even becomes more prevalent because then you start relying on those kids to establish the culture. Mm -hmm. Kirby said it so many times, and I think it's so well said because – Honestly, if you've got a program where your kids are the disciplinary action to the program, where they're the ones taking charge in the locker room, and they're establishing those accountability with people, that is a very well-led locker room. That is a culture that you want in your program, and so I'm excited to see that as they move forward with these new youngins coming in. And with the old heads that they have in there now. So that's a big deal going from because now all of a sudden these guys that have been getting kind of hollered yeah. at, that's been getting whooped on a little bit. Now they're the big dogs and they've <laughs> got to do the leading now. So that's very important that they take that role and establish that new culture. Because even though we know what Kirby's mentality is, you still got a group of kids who are new. You've mm-hmm. still got a good group of kids who are still acclimating and you've got a group of kids who know the system. So, Bringing that all together and putting it in cohesiveness together is important as well.
0: Yeah, man. Who are the who are the leaders? Who are the leaders? And and speaking of that, I mean, I would love I love your thoughts. I have my own opinions, but who are a couple of those names? Like, let's just name names. Who are we looking for for leadership from this team?
1: Well, you know, the uniqueness is always you want your quarterback to be a primary leader, but I don't really think he's a vocal leader as much as. And I know Kirby's mentioned that he he does his 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 leading by what he does on the field yeah. and a lot of times that is important as well but i would say you probably get a lot of leadership up front with your guys that are coming back and like tate rallage i think would probably be a mm-hmm. good fit on the line um you know from a running back perspective you've got two guys that are leaving now the the head uh, runners that are coming in or you know one kid was injured last year Uh, Another one's coming in from the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. Um, But to give you a mindset, I would say a lot of those guys are defensive-minded guys. It always seemed to me in the locker room when I was a coach Mm -hmm. that it seemed to me the ones that always wanted to take charge Were your guys on defense and it was your linebackers, your, you know, maybe one of your heads at safety, maybe a D lineman. So, you know, Warren Brinson could be that fit. I'm sure. How about CJ Bell? Maybe becomes a more vocal guy this year. And typically there's always an unspoken guy, a guy that's not necessarily talked about his field presence, but yet he's still a vocal leader in the locker room because Mm -hmm. people respect him because he comes out every day, working hard, doing what's asked of him every day with a selfless mentality. And that, that goes a long way too, because you know as well as I do, if you have good leadership and you have guys that, you know, do their job and know their role, as The Rock would say, you know, back in the day, know your job and, you know, do your yeah. role, um, I feel like that is the kind of kids that we want to see. So those are just a couple that I think up off the top of my head at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah Starks would be another one, I think, too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Shout out to uh, R. Murchie High School in the 90s when I played. Um, you mentioned uh-huh. defensive leaders. I played outside linebacker, and I – I was forced into the leadership role by uh George Bobo who's my coach, Mike Bobo's dad. Um and he man I, the, the good coaches like like George Bobo, Kirby Smart, they'll find leaders. They'll find yes. they know they know how to push you. They know how to they know how to test you. They know how to how to force what they need out of you or right force you to a position where they realize they're not going to get it and they yeah, got to go find it. it from somebody else. Yeah. Right. So when I look, when I look at the list, I think some of the guys you named, I, I mean, I will say, I think Carson Beck, I mean, I think I'll just challenge Carson Beck. I mean, I understand what, I understand what Kirby's saying. Yep. And I think Stetson Bennett was like that a little bit too. in his yeah. you know kind of first year, right. A little like, wasn't, you know, really vocal guy, but by, by his, especially by his third season, I mean, he was a take charge by his third season as a starter he was a take-charge guy, and I yeah. think I think Carson Beck's going to have to find enough of that inside of him, right? Like, I don't right. think – I love Carson Beck. I think Carson Beck is one of the best quarterbacks returning um, this season. But, yeah. man, what I didn't love about Carson Beck is there were times where it was the quiet confidence, which I do – I really appreciate. Right. But there were times early in the season last year where I was like, dude, you got to be that dude. Yep. Like this team, the offense is not getting it done right now. You got to right. be that guy
1: who you can look at when that situation is happening. And when I will say, that.
0: I will say the one thing that defined for me that defined why Georgia did not make the college football playoff. And this is going to be a little controversial, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway.
1: Say the it. Thing,
0: the thing that defined it for me was in the SEC championship game. There's a there's it went viral. There's a clear picture. Um, when Georgia runs, you know, a toss to the short side of the field and you know, whatever, everybody talks about the play call, right? But what went viral was the, the camera, you know, zoom in on Carson Beck, and Carson Beck says he shakes his head and he's like, What the F are we doing? Right? As we're right. Walk, as he's walking off the field, you take charge, Carson Beck. You don't be asking, What the F are we doing? You're the quarterback of this football team. Right. So you, you know what I mean? Like you, if it's not going right, it's on you. And that's what Todd Munkin and Stetson Bennett had that people, you know, P- Todd Munkin said it, Kirby Smart said it, said, Hey, Stetson's a competitor. He's not the easiest guy to coach. Mm-hmm. You got to have that from your quarterback. And, and he doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be a rah-rah guy. He doesn't have to be, you know, any of that. But what he does have to be is in those moments, he's got a bow his chest and he's got to say, I'm the quarterback of the university of Georgia and we're, I, we are not losing this game. I, exactly yeah. I'm not going to fumble this handoff. I'm not going to ask whatever we doing. I'm not going to go in my shell. I'm going to lead this team, and I think right. that's the challenge for Carson Beck, number one, as a leader of the team. I I agree with your assessment. You know, Tate Rattledge, I think be be a strong leader. Um, uh, I think you know in the in the wide receiver group, I think you got a couple of guys that that can step up. Oscar Delp, you know, has that potential as well yes. in the offense. On the defense, I think it has to be it's gotta be those linebackers, right? It's gotta be Smile London. It's gotta be CJ Allen, it's gotta be <coughs> it's gotta be Malachi Starks in the back end. Those are your three kind of quarterbacks of the defense. Um, I'm also, you know, I'm also looking at Nazir Stackhouse. All right, you came yeah. back, buddy. That defensive line got pushed around a little bit last year. Yeah. You know, who's gonna be the guy on that defensive front that's gonna that's gonna prevent that from happening too? Well, so, no, yeah, a lot ahead. of questions about no, a lot of questions about leadership for me
1: yeah and it's really tough because sometimes that's not something that's learned you have to i mean it's not something that's like in you it's not in you yeah it's not a, natural your, right yeah no, it's yeah. not natural it's not your blueprint so mm-hmm. it has to be kind of a learned mentality and some people learn it some people yep. don't do a very good job and what we may be seeing is the adaptation of carson bank learning to be the yep. leader that we're asking him to be like you say um, you know, when I look at C.J. Allen and I think about Smile Bunded and those guys, you know, I, it takes me back to the clip where Nakobe Dean absolutely chews Channing mm-hmm. Tindall out. That's the kind of mentality where it's tough love. Brother, yep. I love you, man, but you just screwed up and you by you screwing up, you create a whole conundrum. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then by God, Channing Tindall went in there and he executed. Yep. I tell you what, nine times out of ten, if you won't get something out of somebody, piss them off. That's what yep. you got to do is get in their face. And that's the main mentality yep. that you know, the coaching staff are going to do to some of these kids, because as you said before, you're going to find out who your leaders are yeah. by making them not be a front runner anymore by making them realize, Hey, it's, it's great when you're fresh and you've got your newly taped ankles and everything's great. But what is, what are you going to do when it's hard? What are you going to do when you have a 75 run, you know, a 75 yard run come call back for a penalty? Yeah. What are you going to do when you're down 14 points? You know, those kind of responses are what you're looking for in winter. And I think that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was someone who challenged it. I want, I want to say it was either Warren Brinson or Gabe, even Gabe Harris, who, I, you know, I'm thinking there's this, uh, you know, we saw what we did last year, mm-hmm. recognizing that we were mid mediocre mm-hmm. and saying we can't achieve what we want to achieve. If we come back out at that level, we must right. elevate that standard. And that's something that you know, coming from a kid. If it was Gabe, I can't recall if it was him or Warren, but you know, saying that kind of deal and recognizing that is the first part of improving. You know, yeah. and I hope to see yeah. some of those guys stand up like we talked about earlier.
0: Well, dude, I mean, all right, let's let's be more real. You don't have to. You start the season with Clemson. You have Kentucky early. You go to Alabama. You go to We're Austin, Kentucky. Texas. You got you know, you got at Ole Miss. I mean this schedule if 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 you don't have leaders man if you don't have guys cuz this thing is not this is not the Georgia this is not the schedule that Georgia played this last season yeah. um and this is uh this is a brand new it's a brand new ball game a brand new SEC and so um Georgia's lucky to have Carson Beck back Georgia's lucky to have you know some of these guys on defense back lucky to have you know a guy like Tate Rattlers or some of these offensive linemen back Mm-hmm. But man, you don't have a choice at this point. You don't have a choice. You got to be a leader, and so um, I I think I'm excited to see how Carson Beck especially matures as a leader because you saw it from Stetson Bennett. You saw it from you know he Stetson Bennett man that guy in 2020 in that COVID year. I mean he yeah he had his he had his head between his legs a lot of times. Yes, and then he did. 2021, you had the SEC championship game where he laid an egg, and Georgia got an opportunity to go to the playoff, and what did he do? I mean, he lit Michigan up. Yes, and then yeah. in Alabama, he fumbled the ball. You know, instead of going yeah. into his shell, he said, I'm not going to be the reason that we lose this game. Yeah. And that, for me, is is what Carson Beck is going to have to be for this team. He's going to have to be the guy, like in the SEC championship game, instead of saying, what the therefore are we doing, and fumbling the ball in your own, you know, uh, red right. zone, you got to be the guy that's like, nope we we are not losing we are not losing this game i am not going to be the reason that we lose this game right and um, yeah you got to execute so um leadership very important excited 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 to see that so um thanks for everybody who's tuning in um, if you if you haven't yet, click the subscribe button, click the like button. We don't hit you over the head with that, but it does help the show. Um, it helps us grow the show, um, helps it get into other people's feeds, and hopefully um, they can learn a lot from Coach and they can deal with me and uh, and my banter uh, and keeping it real. Um, yeah, all right, all right. Couple things. We're gonna pivot a little bit away from Georgia just to end the show on a couple fun notes. We're gonna do a reaction to a little bit of national news. Um, we're gonna start. So Bud Elliott of uh CBS Sports and the Cover Three Podcast, a guy that um, you know, I I like I like Bud Bud is uh he's delightfully curmudgeonly uh as I like to call him. Uh Bud put out um some coaching tiers for SEC coaches. Um he has tier A, tier B, tier C, tier D, um, and asked for reaction. So I didn't react on Twitter and I know you didn't either. So I thought we'll just react right now. Um, When you look at the SEC, so the SEC, this will be the first year with uh, sixteen teams and expansion. You got Oklahoma coming in. You got Texas coming in. You got a few coaching changes with Mike Elko um, joining uh, Texas A&M. Kalen DeBoer, obviously the big one in Alabama. Jeff Lebby at Mississippi State. Tell me a little bit about you know we can talk about these tiers because I think the tiers are I mean I think they're reasonably okay I think he got tier a right I think he mm-hmm. got I, I think I think he got tier b right um tier C and tier D I think you could move some guys in and out um but tell me you know when you think about the SEC coaches this year who who do you think is maybe? Overrated, So we'll do this. Who do you think is overrated? And who do you think is maybe flying under the radar a little bit? Not necessarily – so let's separate. This is a coach's perspective, right? So Mm -hmm. we're not talking about their team. I know, you know, (laughs) poor Sam Pittman, the talent he has on his team is nowhere near the talent that Kalen DeBoer and Kirby Smart and Brian Kelly and those guys have on their team. But tell me about coaching. Who do you think is an underrated coach You know, based off of of these rankings and some of the conversation? And who do you think maybe it's like, I don't know, I'm not a believer.
1: Yeah. Well, right now you have to look at where Lane Kiffin is in Tier C. That's one that I think is probably needing to be in Tier B. I know that they're probably thinking, let me have one more year of what he just produced this past year, and maybe mm-hmm. that goes that way. And you could say the same thing for Eli Drinkovich as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he loses a lot of his talent this year. Um, but still though, he's one of those, you give me one more year, uh, 10 win mm-hmm. season, you know, year, six bowl kind of deal more than likely he moves up. You know, I'm going to be against Kalen the I know that he just played for the national championship with Washington, but I think he's in tier B by default yep. and, uh, he's in there because he's got Bama's team. And mm-hmm. unfortunately to me, it's just like with Brent Venables and Steve Sarkeesian, who's coming into the. Um, you know, by team and by coaching coming into the sec, along with Kalen coming in for the pac 12 to take on Alabama. I can see why they've got Sarkeesian up there because of what his status is and what he's done with Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, you know, losing in the semifinal before the uh, yeah. um, you know, the final, the final game. The so yeah. yeah, the national championship. So I think right now where I would have Kalen the at is just put him in the middle. I mm-hmm. would have him in tier C Um, I would probably have Lane Kiffin and Eli Drinkwitz up in tier B, Mm -hmm. sort of a, I guess, tier BC. I mean, because realistically, (laughs) one more solid year from those two guys, especially with the, you know, the way the championship is going to be played out this year, the playoff bracket with 12 teams. You know, we could see these two guys really make a move. You know, Hugh Freeze is basically, you know, and he's got it recruited. He's a quarterback and some receivers away from being a really solid football team, very good defensive program. He's just got to, like I said, come out and prove it this year offensively with his new recruits and the people that he's bringing out. So, um, honestly, the only person, the only coach in Tier D that I'm just Mm -hmm. sort of thinking he could possibly move up is Shane Beamer. You know, Shane Beamer is obviously at that point now where he needs to, you know, he's got to do something. And you know, he's had he's got his recruiting classes in. He's had enough years of tenure to uh, develop his program. So he's got to basically figure out you know what he's about and uh go from there but that's that's my takes by looking at those four tiers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, not not bad takes. I'll tell you uh I'll tell you where my head is. I agree <coughs> I agree me. with Lane Kiffen. Listen, Lane Kiffen, say what you want about Lane Kiffen, okay? Mm-hmm. Um old miss between 1971 and 2020 when Lane Kiffen arrived. That's a lot of years. That's almost 50 years. Right? Ole Miss had two seasons when they won 10 games in that 50-year period. Lane Kiffin has won 10 games two out of his first four seasons at Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. Um, Lane Kiffin, you know, I think – I don't think Lane Kiffin has a history of being a good head coach. I think Lane Kiffin is one of the best play callers in college football. I think Lane Kiffin you know, is, uh, is certainly one of the brightest minds in how he uses personnel. But what I think has changed at Ole Miss, and the reason that I would put Lane Kiffin in Tier B, is because Lane Kiffin has understood the program that he is running. He runs that program like a CEO in terms of like, I know I'm not going to get these types of recruits uh unless i use nil i know i'm not going to be deep at these positions because i'm not going to spend nil money on these positions because i'm going to do it in these other places i know that my defense is not going to be that good because of xyz so i've got to figure out how to put a roster together and i think his roster management has been really really strong so that's why i'd move lane kiffin into into tier b that's i'm take. not a, yeah not a believer in Kalen DeBoer. i listen i'm sorry i was uh i'm not i was on a on a show recently and somebody asked uh for a grade for for Alabama's hire for Kalen DeBoer and uh and I gave it an F Mm -hmm. and I don't I don't apologize for giving it an F the reason being is is Kalen DeBoer um I think you can see it right the proof is always in you know the proof is in the pudding as they say um and and in the results, and Kalen DeBoer, I don't I don't care what you say about thirty day transfer window. I don't care what you say about NIL. I don't care what you say about all that stuff. Kalen DeBoer, Nick Saban had built an elite roster at Alabama, and Kalen DeBoer lost a lot of it right away.
1: He also yes. went
0: out and the and the staff that he put together right is a good. He put together a good coaching staff. But he did not put together a good recruiting staff, and I and I think making some of you know reading between the lines, it's it's almost like you're making these assumptions that like this yes. this, this A is going to recruit itself, and I'm like, right. no, you better have some dogs on that staff. Now he mm. just hired he just hired Christian Robinson, C Rob, um, former Georgia linebacker to coach linebackers. I think I think that guy's a really good recruiter. Yes. I think he has some good recruiters on his team, but man. He lost a lot of recruiting talent um, and lost a lot of talent out the door. And to me, that's why I think you know he, he tier B. Um, also, I, I would say too. I I understand what he did at Washington in two years. I understand that he won a lot at Fresno State, but the but the actual tr- the actual track record for me is not there either. So I'd move, I'd bump Kalen Deboard down. I'm not sold on Steve Sarkeesian. I think he I think he can be in the same. Um, Uh, conversation as Lane Kiffin. Um, I do like the culture that he has built at Texas. I'm not sold on him as, as a head coach, I think for similar reasons as Kalen DeBoer. Um, But, uh, but I do think, you know, I'm okay with him being a tier B. Um, I'll tell you one that I would drop down to tier D and I'll just, I'll just say it. Tennessee fans, come on at me. Come on. Not a believer in Josh Heupel. Not a believer, not a believer. I think Josh Heupel uh, had the, had the benefit of, um, Hendon Hooker, Jalen Wyatt, like those guys. Um, uh, but man, you you see when the SEC has started figuring out that offense, yes, it's it's. I'll say it. I mean, come on, come on at me. But it's it's gimmicky. It's gimmicky. Going out past the numbers, spreading people out, taking first reads. It's not. It's not a sustainable winning formula in the SEC. Mm-hmm. And I also think like um, last year, I, I'm also gonna. I'm also going to dock Josh Hypo a few points for not starting Nico. It's like, dude, you got this guy. Like Joe Milton was not it. You got this guy over here. You know, I understand quarterbacks got to develop. I understand you got to show, you know, loyalty to your guy. But, man, play the kid. Like, come on. Um, Tennessee wasn't – they weren't in contention for anything. Uh, You got to play the kid. So, um, Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, I'll always say say Mark Stoops is a little underrated. Um, I don't think he necessarily should be in Tier B. But I do think you know he he may be underrated. Um, uh, and then I think you know I I, I think <laughs> there should be yeah. a tier there should be a tier E <laughs> for uh, for Billy Napier. Um, yes, man, Billy Billy is fumbling the bag big time at Florida. Um, yeah. So so that's my initial reaction to that too. So um, all right, Bud, uh, we gave you a reaction. Uh, I'll I'll clip it and tweet it to you. Uh, there you go. All right. If if you're hanging in there with us, uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and subscribe. Hit the like button. Uh, we got one more thing to talk about before we get out of here. Nick Saban has uh, maybe found his his retirement calling, where he's going to um, uh, he's going to be an ambassador for college football. Uh, there's an ESPN article Chris Lowe uh, put out, and Nick Saban had this quote. Now this is a long quote. I'm going to read it. Um, so we can talk about it. Uh, but, um, Nick Saban was asked about, you know, would he, would he consider being, if there was a commissioner in college football, uh, would he consider being, you know, the college football czar, I guess for lack of a better word. And what he said, this was his response. I'm not really looking for a job, but I do know I'd like to impact college football the best way I can, whether it's being a spokesperson or anything else. Listen, I'm for the players. It's not that I'm not for the players. Okay. When you're starting the quote with like, "Hey, listen, it's not that I'm not for the players, but (laughs) you know," um, but he said, "I want to see the players have a great quality of life and be able to create value for themselves." But we've gone to nobody talking about education, nobody talking about creating value for the future, to to talking only about how much money I can make while I'm in college. I think the consequence of this could come down to the road when some of these guys get 28, 29 years old that maybe they didn't prefer, prepare themselves for when they can't play football anymore, which is what you should do when you go to college. Mm. Coach, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, there's a lot in there. We don't yes. have to react to all of it. But tell me a little bit about when you hear Nick Saban say things like, we're not talking about education anymore. We're not talking about, you know, preparing for after football anymore. We're only talking about how much money I can make. What's your uh, What's your initial reaction to those comments
1: uh, i say bravo to him because now he's yeah. finally getting to express some feelings that he probably couldn't say when he was a head coach and honestly to be able to get that off his chest i'm sure was very rewarding for him he probably right. felt like a breath of fresh air but he says a lot of truth in that because what's happened now is we've become it seems to me that we're migrating and as long as there's not any framework put into place for what we're seeing Uh, We're going to basically see college football become a minor league system for the NFL. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what he's looking at from that standpoint is that there's no ramifications of what the long term uh, or the longevity of what this kid is coming to school. Because initially, when you had a kid coming in, you're looking at it from a standpoint, hey, we are paying for your education to go to school to earn a degree that's going to be rewarding for you so that when football's over with you have the ability to go achieve and still be productive in life because necessarily believe it or not all these football players that we consider to be in high regard mm-hmm. you're only going to see a small percent of that go to the NFL and then even that if you think about it what's the average i wish i knew this these metrics but what is the average NFL career for say a skill player at certain positions i know there's some that you know fit or outliers to it but, you know, you even look at the NFL career, even if they get that big million, millions of you know, multi-million dollar contract, how are they, you know, what? how are they utilizing that money? Are they setting themselves up for financial security down the road? And you hear so many horror stories about that kind of deal. And now what's happened is that's matriculated down to the college level. And I think that's what Saban's trying to address is that what he watched and witnessed and evolved with was... To start with having kids that were hiring recruits, figuring out ways to make them productive over their time while in college, make them look and understand their future, what life would be like if they didn't make it in the NFL, what are you gonna do post, you know, playing football again, not being able to put, you know, put the pads on again. Yeah. And I think that's what he's trying to get across to these kids is now it's the it's the get rich quick mentality. It's what's what's mine today or what's mine yesterday, you know, instead of it being what's my future hold for me? Because when football's over with, what am I going to be able to rely on that's going to substantiate me as I work into my thirties and forties and fifties when I can't play the game anymore. So I really like the way he put it. I think he did it methodically, very same and like the way he mentioned yeah. it. But what's nice is just to see that transparency for him in that quote that you probably wouldn't hear from him if he was behind the podium with a big A on the front of it.
0: Yeah. A lot of people are giving Nick Saban some shit about, what he was saying right a lot yeah. of people were saying like oh this you know you couldn't handle nil and so you retired yeah and now you're talking about all this stuff yeah do you know the percentage of college football players that go pro off the top of your head
1: i would say college football players that go pro yeah i just look at my group from georgia we've got 10 or 11 <sighs> three and a half percent four percent oh.
0: Okay, Georgia is setting draft records. Right at fifteen players, fourteen 15 players, players mm-hmm. yeah. One point six percent of of college football players are going to go on and play professionally. So if you have a hundred football players on your team, less than two of them on an a, them. on average, on right, average, mm-hmm. are going to go on to play. To play I knew that number was low. Very low, yeah. And so so even in the power five, even in the highest, um, you know, the upper echelon of the pro of programs, it's to your point, it's 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 three, four percent. So it's three or four out of a hundred at, at those even the highest level programs, right? And mm-hmm. so, um I think what Nick Saban was saying, which I which I do agree with, is like, dude, most of y'all, when I look at y'all and when I say y'all, I mean College football players as a whole, collectively, power five, group of five, um let's let's just talk about power five. You know, power five 60 something teams times let's say eighty five scholarship kids. Like, right. you know, looking at that number, Nick Saban is saying majority of y'all are gonna go pro in something other than football. Right. Um, y'all ain't going pro in football. And so I think what I think I think my only issue is is his um you know, it's just a comment about how much money I can make in college instead of focusing on my education. Uh, because I do think there is a benefit with NIL. Of trying to maximize it if you can. If if you know if you don't. If, if the 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 sad part about NIL, and let's just say the sad, the quiet part out loud, the guys who are getting all the money in college are the guys who are going to go pro. So it's not right. You know what I mean? So so who Nick Saban is talking to when he says? It's all about trying to make some how much you know, as much money as I can. I think he is talking about those guys who he said 28 or 29 years old, guys who go the average tenure in the NFL is not that long. I mean you have right. guys who are they go to the league, they play for three or four years, and they're out at you know before they're, before they even get their second contract. So right. I understand what he's saying. I think for me, you know my, my biggest thing, um, I am happy. That Nick Saban is finally in a place where he can say what's on his mind. Yes. Where he can say because if anybody has lived it, him, Kirby Smart, those guys, um, they've all they've they've all lived the real challenge of this and something something does need to be done. We'll talk about that some other time. I don't know what. I have a lot of I have a lot of opinions that we can talk about some other time. But uh but kudos to Nick Saban for saying it, man, for going yeah. out there and saying, Hey, most of y'all are going to go pro in something other than football, and you're not thinking about that at all right now.
1: Do you think that it's almost like a tug of war? Because if you think about it, to me, it's ironic to tell people saying, you know, or to tell Nick Saban, hey, you're just tired. You're a tired old man. You can't handle the NIL concept. But do you think that all of a sudden this new involvement of what he's having to deal with was contradicting what he's trying to preach in the culture of his program? And that was constantly in conflict with one another. And he was probably more mentally exhausted from trying to, to continually keep the culture of what he wanted to do versus what was being forced upon him that he really couldn't control too.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think, I think maybe there, there may have been some of that, you know, I think it is, The job is clearly much more demanding. The job is clearly much more complex. The job, you know, you do have to re recruit your roster. I think Nick Saban, I don't know that much of that played a part in Nick Saban not being the coach of Alabama anymore. I think what played more of a part is Nick Saban's 72 years old. Yeah. And he said it, you know, he said it. Like, I think for him, the expectations he has for himself and for his program when he felt like he couldn't, he didn't have the energy to live up right. to those expectations anymore. Right. He was out. And yeah. I think, I think that's a very Nick Saban way to go out. It's like, I <laughs> I'm too old to give this the the effort that I know it right. needs. Um, But I do, but I think all those, all those factors did play a part, but I think ultimately the guy was just old and yeah. I don't, I don't say that flippantly, but it's like, you know, sit, we're all gonna, you know, knock on wood. We're all gonna live to be there and feel that at some point. And yeah. uh, and he, and when he was say when he said, you know, yeah, when I was younger, you know, I could be, at, you know, I could be at the office late, get home, lay down at two a.m. and be back up at six a.m. and going. Yeah, all of it that resonated with me. I was like, dude, I remember those days. Yeah, <laughs> and now I'm not even close to not even close to Nick Saban. Uh, yeah, Nick Saban's age, so. And I'm feeling it, so I understand it. So, all right. Well, if you're if you're still tuning in, yeah, if you're tuning in, please, you know, like like the video, subscribe to the channel. Um, we're going to be sending out some more uh, a newsletter. We're going to have the website go up. We're going to be posting a lot of content. So, tune in, subscribe, like, subscribe to the newsletter. Um, we'll put that in the description of the channel. Um, and we really appreciate y'all hanging around, Coach. Any parting words?
1: I just want to say thank you. You know, the people who have been, you know, so um, kind in their contributions to comments and and threads and putting things in Twitter, along with our comments in the dog dispatch. Um, Also, too, you know, I, I love the fact of talking ball. And so, at my uh, website and with my uh, yeah. my handle at Coach Hayes Huddle, I definitely enjoy the camaraderie I have over there as well. And it's been very nice to partner with John. And I'm yeah. enjoying so far what we've got going, and it's you know it's, it's just going to keep going and be doing well for us. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. So uh, so pop over, you know, subscribe to um, to Coach's uh, channel as well. He does a lot of short film breakdowns that we'll start incorporating into this show as well. And so um ex- really excited about that. We're going to be doing some of that, especially as the season, uh, the spring ball gets rolling. We start getting closer Glad. to the season, incorporate a lot of film breakdown, co- incorporate a lot of, um, of the work that coach does over at coach Hayes, huddle HUDL. We'll put that in the description as well. Go give him a like and a subscribe. We really appreciate it. And we will be back next week until then go dogs. Go dogs.